Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this installment of our Brandon Sanderson series. We hope you'll join us by clicking on the Reading Challenge link at our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, or to keep it simple, just send us your thoughts on the books on our website, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and welcome to The Legendarium. Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to The Legendarium! And we went and saw Catwoman this weekend... How best to describe the movie, dot, 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 jigglage in abundance. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Legendary Podcast. I am Flabby Yet Dilsit. I'm Craig Hanks. Uh, and with me is my regular cohort of weirdos. Uh, well, he wears women's clothes, but not on purpose. He's just that stupid. It's Ryan Bruckman. And it fits like a glove. <laughs> <laughs> Yowza. Uh, he has the biggest collection of vintage floral bandanas in the western United States. It's Ken Johnson. And every one of them looks fabulous. And he's so hipster, he's in a loving but open relationship with the Pacific Ocean. It's Tommy Curret. I've never actually been to the Pacific Ocean. Are you serious? Which one is that, left or right? Left. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, it depends on which way you're facing. So, Okay, I have been to that one. Uh, and a bird in the hand is worth at least eight of him in the bush. It's Jeff Inch. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> hey, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but all right. You don't have to feel any way about it. All right. Uh, Try not to feel around Craig. It's 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 best. But <laughs> that's actually true. Uh, let's. But uh, before we get started on calamity, uh, let's do just a little bit of. Well, we can do some housekeeping, but I am curious. Uh, how are you guys doing? How was your week? Ken, you saw X Men. I saw X Men. How'd you like it? It was an X Men movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good. Yeah. Bottom line, I mean, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but you're the only one who saw it. So, bottom line, do you recommend it? Bottom line, if you like X Men, you will like this movie. Well, if you don't aren't invested in the universe, you will be underwhelmed or you know don't waste your time it was fun it was fun enough but but, but our, it was underwhelming but our olivia pricing. but our olivia munn's clothes tight enough olivia munn is so criminally underused in this show really yeah okay but her uh, her side she, outfit, she could she, be the she could be the star of the show and that would still she be true. should be she wears <laughs> that outfit well let's put it that way uh any other um nerd tidbits from this week i believe we've chased all the women in another podcast away yeah. with, with this nice <laughs> and the show has reached a new low <laughs> new really it's yeah. not that new hey did you guys see the uh oh, we can go way lower did you guys see the clips that i posted on uh, our facebook page the nope. Super Mario. I saw your Super Mario Game of Thrones one. And did you see the kids with the lightsaber violins? Uh-uh. Oh, it was freaking adorable. It was in somewhere in Quebec. Uh, some violin teacher has this, you know, he's got like 20 students and they're all playing in like a shopping mall or something. They're all in Jedi robes and their bows, their violin bows are dressed up with these lights that make them look like lightsabers. It's oh, yeah. awesome. It's a really good little clip. Way to make the arts more interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, if you haven't liked our Facebook page, you should, because we find all sorts of stupid crap like that and throw it your way for your enjoyment. Uh, so, yeah, find the Legendary and Podcast on, uh, the Facebook. on Facebook. You know, there is something called Legendary Media, which is a totally separate thing, and it just occurred to me, I wonder how many of our listeners we've sent to them. They just search Legendarium and, you know find this other thing and so they <laughs> see this spike of likes oh they look at it and they're like 
Well, this is too useful to be the podcast I listen to. <laughs> yeah, probably. Huh? Uh, speaking of which, uh, if you like things that are completely useless, uh, do us a favor. Go to imz.com slash legendarium <laughs> and sign up there. Uh, we are still in beta. I imagine we'll that the site will be up and running fully uh, within a couple of months. But we are still in open beta there, taking another couple hundred applicants uh, for a spot in the MZ beta. So MZ.com slash legendarium. We do kind of a similar thing to what we do on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. We share things. We keep you up to date on our newest episodes. Uh, we have discussions about... Um, you know, interesting nerdy topics. We Jeff confess our deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> Jeff and I, I think Jeff and I are the most active ones on there. Jeff, you enjoying it there on Imzy? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's lots of good stuff. Lots of people are posting interesting things, and there's good. There's always good discussion. Like the the thread at the top talking about um, it's pinned up to the top about how you got into fantasy and and sci-fi and what you like about it has been one of the more the most active ones, and it's really interesting. Just, hear lots of different people's perspectives on it yeah definitely um, yeah. just lots of great conversation mz if you're listening i would be so much more active if there was an app yes uh mm-hmm. they are working on that that's the, exactly i figured they probably would the, the app is actually in alpha right now they're in alpha testing and so that'll be released in beta pretty soon and yes it is coming yep. but uh but that's kind of the point is like hop on there and help us to help mz make a really good platform right yeah mm-hmm. you throw them some suggestions and all that uh, but one other thing that we want to uh, uh, send you guys toward MZ for is the tipping thing that they've got on there. So if you go into the Legendarium community, again, mz.com slash Legendarium, right there on the front page, there's a little bar that says tip right on our icon. And you can actually help support the show. And uh, we'd love for you to do that. To do that. Uh, this has not been a free adventure for us, and we would love your help in, uh, you know, recouping some of the costs of hosting and equipment and, uh, you know, feeding Ryan pizza, that sort of thing. And we can only sell so much of Ken's blood before they start to get question what we're doing. <laughs> and I'm starting to get a little woozy. We're, we're moving on to organs uh, pretty soon. So Just remember you get what you pay for. Uh, no, one of the fun things about, or fun, I, okay, it's not fun. One of the great things about the tipping thing that they've got there on MZ is that you can not only send us, say, f- send us five bucks, but you can also set up a recurring donation, which I would love. Uh, you can set it up as a monthly recurring donation. Say it's $1 or $5 or, you know, $8,000, whatever you want to send every month to help maintain the podcast. Uh, we would, no, seriously, we would appreciate any help uh, that we can get from you, our adorable listeners. So, mm-hmm. anything to add to that, you guys? Or they, shall we move on? They are adorable. I know. I know. Some of them. All right. Um, so, Calamity. Here we go. <laughs> We've gotten past the YouTube ad to the beginning <laughs> of the video. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You've skipped ahead to skip, here. Skip now. Uh, okay, let's do my recap, as always, and then we'll move on. Here we go. Steelheart was the fun revenge story. Firefight was a great cat and mouse mystery. Now we have Calamity, which is a, a uh, well, it's an ending. Unfortunately, it's not a very fitting one. More on that in a moment. The book starts off well with an assault by the team, minus Prof and Tia, on the Nighthawk foundry. They almost die, but instead become best buds with Nighthawk, who, as it turns out, is one of Prof's old friends. This was the group who years ago found out how to come up with the Motivators, machines that mimic epic powers once imbued with a bit of epic DNA. Nighthawk provides the team with a couple fun new toys, and they head off to Ildithia, the moving city made entirely of salt. It's an interesting new location, but it lacks the cinematic appeal of both Nukago and Babylar. 
The team, now led by our hero David, embarks on its most dangerous quest yet to stop Evil Prof's plan to usurp Calamity's position as the one epic to rule them all. They stop Prof by discovering his weakness, which, in my opinion, was a pretty great one, fear of failure. Once he realizes that he's failed in all sorts of different ways, Prof's powers are neutralized, then they're removed from him by a power-stealing epic named Larsener. So far, so good. But at this point, the book takes a bizarre turn into a too-quick ending that gives the reader no emotional payoff for the three books' worth of investment. Don't get me wrong, these are great books, and I still recommend them heartily over the likes of other uh, young adult fare like Hunger Games or Maze Runner or Allegiant or Divergent or Detergent or whatever it's called. Uh, Even the ending is better than what we get from most of those others. But in a classic dug-his-own-grave sort of way, Sanderson has made us expect more from his endings. In my humble yet very, very important opinion, he didn't deliver. I'm going to call these things less of a synopsis and more of Craig's review. Oh, that's fine. There, there are points I disagree with in that. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, first off, uh, Ildithia is awesome. Okay. Uh, simply because it's a city that is constantly growing and falling apart and growing and falling apart. There there were things about it that I liked. That was pretty cool. Made the of moving salt. City. Very clever. Moving the history. salt I didn't like. I feel like that would create more problems of, of livability than even a city made out of solid steel would. Mm. How so? Uh, I mean, it's salt. You well, know, it's nothing can be there. Every, nothing can grow is, there or yeah. live there. It's, you know, the whole reason why the Salt Lake that we live next to mm-hmm. has exactly one thing living in it, and that's brine shrimp, which stink to holy <laughs> hell. Uh, you know, it, that's all that can live there is because right. it's so salty. But they, gotta, so, but they address. Gotta, yeah. I mean, they address that with the merchants and everyone that kind of follow around it to, and brings things in. That they deal with with the livability aspects. I think visually, if you don't think of the salt that's on your table, go look at salt in its large rock form. It looks like colored crystals sure, and things like sure. that. That would make for a very cool visual to watch a city being built out of that, and then watch it crumble. And each time you come back to a space, it's a little more dissolved or yeah. a little more brought back. And uh, uh, I do understand some of the concerns, is, though. One good rainstorm in that city should probably be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be uh, this gone. is uh, another one of those things, you know, that I complain about every so often where just because I say that it's not my favorite doesn't mean that I hated it. You know, it was a fine location. The setting was great in a lot of ways. But when it was compared to Babylar, especially, was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I didn't yeah. think that in fact Jeff you mentioned you you said uh, at the end of our firefight episode you said that we were going to enjoy Ildithia even more uh, what did you love so much about it yeah I was I'm sorry that I set you up for uh, for disappointment on that one but I just I love that it was constantly moving you never knew where it was and the same thing I mean lots of the same things Ryan already pointed out I imagined these you know crystalline structures I imagined it kind of, you know, sparkling in the light and stuff like that. But also the the fact that details would emerge and then kind of dissolve as it continued to, as it moved from place to place. It was just kind of like an ever-scrolling version of the same screen, but the edge wasn't always the edge. And I just right. thought there was lots of really interesting challenges that it brought up, like the fact they couldn't just hole up in, in one base location because eventually their base was going to, you had seven and days or something get, like that. that, that yeah, was the I, interesting I, thing is that everybody has a week. It's like, okay, we got a plan because in seven days we've got to move to the north end of the city again, and then it will become the south I, end of the I city. Liked, <laughs> I like that too. Um, 
Although I do feel like the book's timeline was so quick that I didn't have enough time for that to be super effective. They only had to move bases once in the whole book, as far as I can remember. I mean, I could be remembering wrong, I suppose. No, they had to relocate a couple but, times. Yeah, yeah. I it was at least twice, I think. There, yeah, but there's not a big deal made about the the change in location except for, the, I believe, the first time when they're trying yeah. to shift it. But, yeah, it's, well, it's they, dealt a couple times. They made a couple of observatory um uh, obs- well, I guess observations. They Observatory observations. observations. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Department of Redundancy Department. I am a re- I am a speaker. <laughs> anyway, they they made a couple of observations about it though, and in, in sense that some buildings had elevators, like what? So it, p- they had people who actually moved these elevators from the crumbling building to the new building, so they could use elevators. And there were a couple of other things that uh, real doors, for example, it's- rather than curtains. It's really interesting to look at the city. We, we take this issue that the city faces and we compare it to some of the other cities and how the epics react to the city. I mean, uh, in, in Ildithia, the epics have their entire retinues of people that their job is entirely just to move my crap from here to here when things fall apart. Right. And that's how, that's how you use your godlike powers. You make people serve you in that way. Whereas in some of the other cities, they, serve, they had people serving in different ways or in different aspects that were each unique to... Uh, the location. Yeah, the the class system that the city mm-hmm. requires is really interesting. And like all the different gangs and their little holdouts and how they interact, I think is yeah. really interesting because... The, the tribe system. That, yeah. yeah. And I think it's because of the nature of the city, right? That it's always changing and you have mm-hmm. to claim your territory and then protect it the next time it comes back around, right? This right. is probably the former gamer coming out in me, but it felt very much like a, a guild system where <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> they, they, they came to one one uh, gang to, to find out if, if Tia was there, spoiler alert, and um, they're like, well, you, you've got to bring us X amount of goods and you've got to be, you know, you've got to apply and you've got to wait seven days and all this. It's like, it, it was uh, very go much chop like, down how many things uh, to find these stupid rupees. Exactly. <laughs> or you're like, World of Warcraft, oh, I want to join the Super League of Good, but I've got to wait for my application to, you know, go through and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that means nothing to me. I never played World of Warcraft or anything. Um <laughs> I think it just in general that I am one of the great things about this series, and I do have some I do have some criticisms for it. Is we do get three very unique locations. We are not yes. tied in, into one realm. Each one has its own unique things that we have to deal with, and that's why I I think Ildithia it, it fits well in this series, and it's a good piece because it's just enough different from the others that we're not just. Back in New Cargo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So other... Well, oh, sorry, Jeff. Had, well, on the same lines, this book too had kind of, even besides Aletheia, other locations, like you have the Nighthawk Foundry, which was its own interesting thing. Um, I love the Nighthawk Foundry. That was awesome. <laughs> Night, Nighthawk and Nick, is hilarious. Yeah, Nick made fun of me for being from West Virginia, but then you've got this cool castle, uh, you know, in West Virginia <laughs> where all the Nighthawk gear is made. And then you've also got, um, you know, where Calamity lives on the, you know, International Space Station that's been turned to glass, glass, which was also another cool, a cool location. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Greg disagrees. No, no, no. I I actually don't disagree. I agree with that quite heartily. I, I appreciate that because it was nice for him to take something that is exists now and you know because he could have just created some mystical crystal palace in the sky or whatever but no it's right. remnants of 
what has happened to our world after all this has occurred. My favorite mm-hmm. thing about it was I, I kept wondering as the plan was starting to come together of, okay, we're going to ride uh, Obliteration's powers up to Calamity and kill him. I'm like, well, if Calamity's this dude hanging in space, like what happens when you, you know, when you teleport into a vacuum, like you're screwed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a clever way to solve that. No, he lives on the space station. Sweet. Yeah, clever. Yeah, that was great. Um, I bought it. What What were some other favorite things about the book? What did you guys like? There were two new characters. How'd you like them? Larsener and Nighthawk. Were there any other new characters to speak of? Um, I don't think so. No, I think not, those were kind no, of our two really big ones. Note. Yeah, not major ones, but... Yeah, right. So Nighthawk is really but I, interesting, I like... but also yeah, if Nighthawk. you dig deeply, he's super creepy, right? Like he's got that wooden puppet that who knows oh, right. what else yeah. that thing does for him. Yeah. And like everything. Like, <laughs> we all admit it. Everyone could right now admit we all thought... Nope. Uh, not, uh, literally not one time until this moment. Uh, you are sick, sick people. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I thought it was interesting. Nighthawk was kind of like the uh, the cautionary tale for David, in the sense that right up front he says, "You are way too obsessed with Epics, dude, and this is what you turn into when you're way too obsessed with Epics. You you turn out like me." <laughs> and David was kind of like, "Well, that's not so bad. I mean, <laughs> you got all those cool toys." And that's there's really David has had his future paths shown to him in multi- through multiple characters and Nighthawk being one of them. It starts with Steelheart and, uh, spoiler alert, ends with Steelheart. Right. His, uh, yeah. his path. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be on same same page there. We deal with Steelheart in the first one and then we deal... Um, we've got Prof, who he looks up to, but that's another path for him is that he could end up like Prof. Uh, and then here we have Nighthawk, who's another person who's uh, obsessed with him or with Epic's and David has to figure out through all these cautionary tales where he's going to sit, especially once we realize that he is now an epic as well. Right. Sadly. Which on I, that, I was like, was he always an epic or was this the remnant of calamity? This this was from the end of book two. Well, I remember. Yeah. I Yeah, I remember that. But I thought, is this was he always there? OK, or so is it new? if That's, we're going to get into this, let's get into this. Here we go. <laughs> let's, we need go. To discuss let's this. go. Um, I, I don't mind that David was turned into an epic. In fact, I thought it was pretty cool that at the end of book two, this thing happens to him and then he kind of like, uh, he throws it off and he says, no, I'm not going to take your powers and everybody's confused. And it turns out that he really does have these powers. Uh, I I thought that was a really cool direction to go, except it was never developed. We never, he never had to deal with the fact that, uh, at least within this narrative, he never had to deal with the fact that he had these powers and and that he had this potential darkness within him. Uh, it was always dealing with people and things around him, which is it, which makes for, in my opinion, a much less interesting story. And we don't get anything until the freaking epilogue. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we- well, there's there's a lot of moments inside the the book that you know he knows he has the powers because there are things that he says right. and does it. It's like He's starting to have okay. nightmares. Yeah. yeah, We know that you have them. And one of the things I loved so much about Firefight in that scene was that he, this great offer is made to him and he didn't, and he turns it and down. And he denies it, yeah. And it's like, this is a fantastic choice. And now you can run through the entire series with this character facing the, the epics but without being the epics. Now, if you're going to play the card of you're going to become what you hate most, mm-hmm. like you said, it needed to be developed more. We needed to have a moment, in my mind, early on in the book 
that it be, it's revealed that David has these powers, but he refuses to use them ever or, so, or so, right. yeah, yeah, something like that. So that when we get to the end and it's like, yeah, guess what? I steal, I am actually steel heart and I didn't have to deal with, I didn't have to deal with the darkness and stuff like that simply because I rejected it from the beginning. You know, and oh, by the way, here's my dad. He's also Steelheart. That was weird. It that was, was kind of like so weird. Mix him Steelheart Junior. Yeah, <laughs> Steelheart Junior. Well, that and that's why I wondered if it was always there, or if this was the thing of calamity. Because in in the end of book two, he says, "No, I don't want these. I reject them." And and then he becomes epic anyway. So was that always there from the time that he was eight? Well, if you I, no, because. The way that well, and, Calamity and, works, the Larsener works there, is that he's gifting out these powers to people so right. that they can destroy, so that his grand goal is for humankind to destroy itself. Right. And and, and uh, there's the scene when, when uh, Regalia says, I've been Regalia, assured that your powers will be thematically appropriate. Yes, your, yes. And, and my title is Steel Slayer, and now I'm going to become Steel Heart. Yeah. I think what ends up happening is that he's gifted the powers, but rejects he rejects the use of them and is able to claim them right from the beginning the way that everyone else does. You know, you just made me think of something. The whole Steel Slayer, Steel Heart thing. Mm-hmm. Were you done? Go ahead. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm close enough that I'll just start rambling if we let okay. it keep going. <laughs> uh, with the Steel, ha- Steel Slayer, Steel Heart thing, I am not the kind of person who thinks that every main character should die in every story. There are people who think that. Like, a story's not good unless the main character dies. Mm-hmm. But this is one that I think might have benefited from that if... He had to like if he had to reconcile those two sides of himself, and ultimately he chose the Steel Slayer side, and that meant he had to kill Steelheart again. And you know, so maybe he had to like sacrifice himself at the end of the book in some way to get rid of the big baddie. Well, he does, but he really had but to it kill fails his dad. Yeah. because he blows himself. He goes, oh, he, he fires the detonator to blow himself up, and knowing that he has the powers or whatever, <laughs> even the fact that it doesn't work out he bit does a, that bit of a harry potter seven moment yeah a little bit having our cake and eating it too <laughs> he does it but yeah. i i i can see the value in that being fleshed out a little bit more but so yeah. i i'll differ from you and use the word hate i hated that he got powers at the end oh yeah i think it undercut everything mm-hmm. that he was set up to be from book one through half of book three yeah. um mm-hmm. he was set up to be this symbol to the normal person that said we can function in this society with heroes, right? Like when he actually claimed the powers, I felt like I felt like I would feel if Batman all of a sudden got a superpower. Like, <laughs> no, here's this regular dude that's just using his smarts, his wherewithal, mm-hmm. and making it happen in this world. And his endless supply of cash. Yeah, Sweet. his endless supply of cash. And his hot women that he yeah. gets somehow. <laughs> it's it's a but, superpower. Yeah, like, and ask, I think David, Leonardo DiCaprio. I think throughout the book, it was showing that David did have powers. Like he was really persuasive. Like it kept mentioning, like, you're a very persuasive kid, you know, like people want to follow you. Like people want to mm-hmm. like, you know, fall in line with what you're saying. You're inspiring, you know, and I thought that was enough of a superpower for him. And I, I liked when he rejected the power and I thought they should have just carried that. On. I think... The one I, I I can see that point. The one counter thing I would have on that is that he doesn't make a point of ever using the powers in the book intentionally, with the exception of when they, if I remember right, I'm trying to remember if that's they're in the office in the building with all the epics and, and getting shot out. He gets shot out and he just kind of takes it all in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, there's never really a moment when he's like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to use these powers a little bit right here. Um, so he he does maintain that status as a symbol for the common people because he's not utilizing what he has, which is 
Yeah, I, I guess I was imagining the world after the fact, like when obviously he's going to be a he leader, down the road you know, or and something like, I just thought, you know, five years after Calamity ends, how awesome mm-hmm. would it be if David was still like a leader that didn't have powers in a world of good heroes with powers? Right. Yeah. That's, I what, just, yeah. What if his, what if his charisma mm-hmm. turned out to be, you know, his non-super superpower mm-hmm. and, and even epics wanted to follow this guy who was so persuasive or whatever see i think it would have been really interesting as an alternate ending here is that they defeat calamity and all the powers disappear oh yeah Hmm. all the powers disappear and the world has to now adjust to the aftermath of having this short period with superheroes existing there i think that would be a really interesting down the road story to flesh out a little bit and be like the powers have have left because of the calamities effect has worn off sure Mm. so basically what we're getting at here is that uh brandon sanderson really needed to run book three by the legendarium podcast (laughs) first let us do a quick rewrite and then send it back is that well i I think it's been well established that that we could write a better book than brandon sanderson Uh, obviously (laughs) i then you are absolutely right in your in your review piece there that we are suffering a little bit from the fact that Brandon Sanderson's bar is so high for us and for many of the readers. Yeah, because this is a good book. This is a fantastic book. Um, I I made the mistake of reading this at the same time I was reading Warbreaker, and this one felt like I was eating boxed macaroni and cheese with an incredible filet mignon steak. I was sitting here going, this is just, why am I wasting my time with this? Now, I came back, and I had enough time to kind of review a little bit more. I'm like, no, this is better than I gave it credit for having read it but it's just in the in the realm of sanderson this is a lower tier piece okay yeah i agree uh and part of the problem is that the first two reckoners books were not i mean maybe they were lower tier in a way Mm -hmm. but they were extremely well written tons of fun very mysterious and you know action oriented and all that stuff but it was but it, so this one not only uh fails in you know in air quotes as a Brandon Sanderson book it fails as a Reckoner's book you it, know what i mean yeah. i think fails is a little weak or a little too strong yeah i i agree whatever the word is we want to use that's this, not quite i feel failed. like this is a Subpar. this was a little more watered down like this might have been forced through a timeline a little bit quicker yep. than he may have yep. wanted um i've always have i told you I've, that's how i've always felt about the third hunger games book Oh, like yeah. I read the first oh, two yeah. Hunger Games books, and then I read the third one, and I, I as I'm reading, I can I can feel her editor over my shoulder. Like, <laughs> hurry up, <laughs> hurry up! We got a deadline. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I so. think for me, like this only failed in the in the second, or I guess the last third of the book. Yes, like, yes. I really enjoyed most of it, the book. Yes, like, I quite agree. A bit. I was I was listening to the book. Sorry, Ken. No, I'll, go, I'll go, get go. to you in just a sec. I was listening to the book, and so I, I didn't have it open in front of me, so I couldn't see, like, how close I was getting to the end. Uh, and what that did for me was it that meant that the third act, I thought the third act was the second act. Mm. I thought that they were going to, you know, neutralize Prof, and then there was going to be another kind of, like, all right, now that the band's back together, what are we going to do about Calamity? And then, you know, you have your big uh, your big thing happens at the end and maybe structurally that wouldn't have worked as well i get that but that's what i thought was happening and so the the end of the book the last third was really abrupt to me mm-hmm. and and off-putting so sorry well, Ken, go say, ahead that that kind of happened anyway i mean they you know take down calamity yes, but it was so fast but it was fast and that that's what i was going to say and even even being fast i still liked larsener slash calamity and by the way larsener's calamity sorry 
<laughs> just gave that away. Oh, right. If we hadn't already, <laughs> we haven't said that. <laughs> right, yet. exactly. But I I thought that was I thought that was an interesting twist that even the, the this entire series suffers from the fact that you know Sanderson's epic fantasy is up here, and this is young adult that's kind of eh, here, but it's still great. For and those of you who can't see, the hands went from about eye height down to chin. I height said up so. here and down here, <laughs> up and down. Ken, Ken works in radio. Don't even worry about it. He totally knows what he's doing. I know. Just giving I'm, you crap. I Keep know going. how to paint a picture with words and things. No. Um, Color by numbers doesn't count, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But anyway, I I thought. I thought the the tie between Larsner and and Twist, he becomes Calamity, was clever. I mean, it. it I, I think it, I feel like I should get these by now, but I, he still caught me by surprise. With it, it would have been cleverer if I cared even a little teeny tiny bit and about that's probably, Larsner. That's probably more the problem was I wasn't invested necessarily, but yeah. it was still good. I think that because we get this end monologue with um, Calamity Larsner here where he's we find out his purpose for being here you know and the reason oh, and speaking of which i was pretty close when i said jeff do you remember extraterrestrials social scientists yes mm. i, I was yeah, pretty I, darn close <laughs> yeah we very close i remember thinking that as i read the book i was like oh my gosh i can't believe <laughs> <laughs> anyway ryan go on uh thought derailed dang it <laughs> <laughs> we get this little monologue from Calamity about his purpose there and why he kind of why he didn't leave or why he's why he's still pushing this the way he is. And I feel like if that was the case, we would have seen more out of Larsener in trying to figure it out while he was there, trying to piece together what, what people saw. Because he's always like, you know, what do you see in this world? What do you see here? And it's not until we showcase the other world where he did leave that he's like, oh, I see it now. Like, well, Larsener, instead of just sitting in a room the whole time afraid, which I understand why you're trying to hide the identity for the reveal later, I would have expected to see him interacting more with David and doing yeah. more with the team to try and figure out why are these people still fighting this? Why don't they just die like they're supposed to? This is what bugs do. We They just, they, you set them against each other and they die. I didn't catch any of that early enough for me to feel like that was a very good close for Calamity. Um, and I think it was kind yeah. of... Like I just reread the ending real quick before I came here, and I think it was kind of hidden in the end, um, where they David's like pointing out what Larsener or Calamity is afraid of, mm-hmm. and he's afraid. He said, "You're afraid that humans might actually be good." So I'm wondering if like Calamity came into this with a theory, a hypothesis, uh-huh. you that's, know? That's and he what was, I thought of that. <laughs> yeah, he was afraid to be proven that his theory about humans were wrong and i still don't know i don't know if he fleshed that out enough because i don't know exactly the dynamic of that all of a sudden calamity curls up and disappears so did he confront his fear or not i don't i don't know i i we take just a second here and we write the larson or calamity side of this piece Uh, he goes from this cognitive ethereal darkness where everything is just it's just all mental there and he talks about how he comes into this world. He's a child here for a while and the lights and everything else is just so chaotic and how our world is chaos and everything. And maybe as you're sent there, he's back getting ready to be sent on his time to go because he makes some comment in the, in the final couple chapters about, you know, we all exist together happy until it's our time to complete our mission. Well, your mission is go and destroy the human race. They've become, they're a plague. And you get there and you realize wait a minute, this plague is not as plaguish as we thought it was. <laughs> as Darth Plagueis? As Darth Plagueis, yes. Darth Plagueis. I win. 
it's not that bad. And so all of a sudden, maybe he's feel you know, he feels guilt or whatever. And then he's called back. And now we have this whole new series of him going back to this cognitive realm, which would be a really boring read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, hey, uh, Jeff, do you have any bullet points you want to bring up? I've, I've got a million more, but I want to go to you. Yeah, well, I had something to go along with what we were just talking about with the end of the book. The thing that was difficult for me about the ending was up until that point, so much of the book was very visual. It was very action-oriented. You know, you go through the whole first book, the way they defeat Steelheart, they, you know, blow him up, and the way they defeat everyone else is always something very physical, and then they go through and they get to Calamity, and all of a sudden it goes from a very physical action-based thing to very, very almost philosophical you know they defeat him by reasoning with him and it's you know this realization that he comes to that makes him leave which was the thing that i think it just was a big switch from the rest of the series that i really had to go back and reread to understand what was going on and i think that might be a, what makes it a sticking point for a lot of people is is how different that is and it's not what they were expecting and it's, as others have pointed out not what was kind of indicated and 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 built up to you know i don't either. think i don't think ryan would ever accuse me of not liking philosophy in books enough mm-hmm. uh but i agree with you jeff like this i i totally agree and maybe it is the tonal shift i don't know what do you think i i can see that um i think it fits a little bit we don't get a lot about who calamity is they uh, they offer up a bunch of these questions about it don't answer a lot of them but I can see why reasoning works to beat Calamity, especially if they're beings of a more cognitive sense. But when it's your big payoff at the end of a trilogy, you got to have something a little bit more than just, we've talked them off the ledge. It just it feels like, you, you said it earlier, it, it's a watered-down ending here. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like, because there, there needed to be a moment where David's like, yeah, you know what, we really are humans are a good people. Then he pulls out a gun and shoots Calamity in the head and he's like, oh, it's over. You know, something (laughs) bigger payoff there. You know what this was missing that I know you guys didn't quite agree with me and that's fine, but I I felt like it was missing from Captain America 3 as well. Stakes. There were were no stakes in this book. Movies Um, are better if you have a stake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, there there was no, you know, Calamity wasn't uh, an impending doom you know, things were decaying slowly and you want to stop that. I get that. But do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't an immediacy to, uh, to what was going on in the previous, I I would say that that's probably true. And also it sits pretty true with Steelheart as well. Actually, if you look back, there's Steelheart's not out to destroy. Oh yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. The only one that book that that fits with is the second one because we have the bomb. Um, so I'm not going to really knock that for this because it's, Two out of three don't fit that. There's just a, there's more at stake for our heroes yeah. in the first book. Um, in this one, I don't know that anyone. Well, I take it back. Once they get prof on their side, the stakes drop quite significantly. Um, and but before they have prof, the stakes are pretty high because he is hunting them down sure. even more so than Steelheart was. Right. And that's what I like what you what you said earlier about you know it's kind of the last third of the book that just leaves you with that. Oh man, just. It wasn't quite there because the, all the stuff leading up to taking down Prof was fantastic. I loved the concept of, you know, how do we be, how are we going to beat him? We don't want to kill him. We got to get him to confront his power or to confront the, the darkness, fears. you know, and claim the powers, which we find out kind of later is what you're doing. It's less facing fears, but claiming the powers. 
Um, yeah. So, speaking of stuff that's not developed enough, Megan. Megan's powers. Any, oh. Was anybody else really excited to get into Megan's powers and what's going on there and how she's going to use them? And was anybody else let down by... They were not kind of... It, it was like... It, it was almost like, come on, Brandon, you can do anything with these. And you did that. They were kind of way too nebulous for me. Yeah, just just that in might the be sense that they, they felt way too soft, way too undefined, so that, yeah, you could pretty much do anything. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the reason why I don't really have a huge issue with that. Okay. Is that while Megan may have had the powers for a while, we have not explored the powers in a, in a way that they had been towards the end of Firefight and this book. We haven't had enough time with these characters to really understand what that is. Yeah. It would feel, I feel like it would be rushed if all of a sudden Megan's like, oh, ding, I know exactly what I'm doing every time. I can jump right. to whatever realm I want, do anything, you know, grab all these other things. The fact that she is kind of flying by the seat of her pants and hoping every time she uses them, I think lends a, a, a level of realism to the timeline. That's why I agree they're not developed as much as they could be because that's a fantastic power set that could be really cool, mm-hmm. but we haven't been given the time to develop it enough to make that a realistic expectation. Agreed. All right. Other thoughts on that or anything else? Bullet points. I I was going to point out when we were talking about uh, the end of the book, we went into this series believing that it was set, you know, apart from the rest of the Cosmere and all of that. But really, when we find out Larsener and they get to talking and all of that and he's here and he's from outer space and all that, is it conceivable that maybe it's not apart from the Cosmere and that... Yeah, Calamity I mean, it's, a shard? It it's written in a it's mm. written in a way that it could be, uh, you know, squ- I hope square pegged into round hold. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I hope not. It's okay. It's okay for there to be for this series to exist outside. Yeah, of it. I'd yeah. rather that. It I did. think it, I think that's more a product of the fact that this is written by the guy who writes the uh, the Cosmere stuff. Right. You yeah. know. So, but I just that that I found that to be interesting. I have I have one little point to that I'd kind of get be interested to get your guys' takes on. The motivators. Mm-hmm. Yes, this yeah. is a this is an interesting technology, and it brings up some very actually fairly common issues that we talk about nowadays. They're using Epic's DNA to develop weapons, basically, or various tech or whatever. And we have a lot of things that we use in science and research now that people kind of look at and go, "Should we be using that to do this? Is that ethical?" You're saying it's unethical to use epic stem cells? I, I'm not making a claim either way on those. I'm just saying. So yeah, like, do you have an example of something we're grappling with or have grappled with recently? Well, uh, you used stem cells. That's one. That's a very. That's a big one. There is whether or not stem cells are should be used for research purposes, and I'm not going to tell you yes or no on that. Well, we don't have to anymore. Yeah, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is in this we're we're facing a very similar issue, and they've made the decision in this world. That they're going to go. That they're going to go ahead and use it here, and this is what happens when when you do that. I just thought it was an interesting take on this and an exploration of a potential of what's happening here. There's other things like that also in here. I think the entire Nighthawk Foundry and surveillance is a piece that can be compared to our current situation a lot as well. But I didn't know what you guys, if you guys had any thoughts on. Yeah, I, those. I I don't think that it was something that was being brought up as a commentary on our situation. Not it intentionally. Was, it was no. more just like. 
uh, it was more backdrop both in Brandon Sanderson's life and thus in his work. Right? Product of the times. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's kind of why I commented that if you di- dive really deep into Nighthawk, it, he's really pretty creepy. Especially kinda like, once you know like the that, federal government. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially once you realize that the epics may not be acting in their own right mind. Mm-hmm. And yet this guy is sitting down in his cave. He has this puppet that's powered by an epic power. And he's has all these people harvesting these epic well, powers for him. That's it, pretty dark character, right? You have that whole scene in, in the beginning when they're invading Nighthawk Foundry where uh, David jumps into this vat of organs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was jacked oh, yeah. up. <laughs> that, was, that was gross. It's like you, you really have to look at this and go, okay, what is going on here? And... Is it worth, is this really ethical? Is this a worth the price that's paying of what you're getting? Um, it was just just an interesting viewpoint, I thought, on it. Going yeah. back to your creep thing, too. It, he establishes early, hey, I'm always watching. Yeah. I'm always going to know where you guys are, you know, and he chirps in once in a while. I'm bored. I'm going to talk to you now. <laughs> so, yeah, it, that is kind of, I, I hadn't even thought about that before. He's a funny and a sympathetic character at a certain point, but that dude's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess isolation has really jacked him up. Yeah. Really, totally. Uh, Jeff, anything else you want to bring up? Well, I think, you know, I, one thing that I want to bring up is the fact that he's got this whole other series coming in, this, in the same sort of universe with the Apocalypse Guard, which he says, I, I mean, his blog post, I guess he posted a few months ago saying it's going to answer a lot of questions left by the end of Calamity. And I think that's where, going back, you know, 20 minutes, sorry to regress, but with the talk of Megan's powers um, going between the, the universes, that's the whole the whole point of the, that series, it seems like, is there are these different versions of Earth and these you know superheroes are going through and not only saving the Earth once, but going through these various realities, the core realities and saving Earth, which I think is going to be cool. And it's going to get something you said, you know, you were wish that they had explored it more. And I think that's an idea that Brandon really liked. And like Ryan said, you know, it, it wasn't built up to be explored as it could in this series, but now there's a whole series that will get to do that, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. And it's it sounds really like it'll be a good a good series. I hope so. Um, I hope so. I but I would just say it shouldn't have to. Like we shouldn't have to have an entire other series to answer this series questions. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite things, and it will always be my favorite one of my favorite things about Elantris is that it's a standalone novel. Now, he's... uh, I don't know if he's currently writing, but he will be writing a sequel to it. uh, And it will be good or bad. We'll see. I assume good. Uh, But anyway, but the point is, no matter how much he writes that ties into or or answers questions about or whatever, that first book, Elantris, that no matter how many of those you have, the first book always stands by itself. And, you know, it's really well contained. Kind of the same thing with... uh, Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> Did you just have a picture of a book standing by itself? No, I was just saying, just until you hit a book where he writes one sentence that totally changes the entire purpose of the first book. I or know, whatever. I know, I know. But no, the same thing with the Mistborn trilogy. The first Mistborn trilogy is a wonderfully contained bit of, of uh, you know, novel. Mm-hmm. And then you have these the second era with, with Wax and Wayne, and those are a ton of fun, and they kind of build on some of the themes and the magic of the first trilogy, but you don't need those. All the, all the questions, all the relevant questions that need answering get answered in that first trilogy. So anyway, yeah, I, I hope that Apocalypse Guard, is that what it's called, Jeff? 
Yeah, that's what's going. And I I completely agree with you. I, you know, I would I would have liked for this this last book for Calamity to feel a lot more like it could just stand on its own and be the capstone to a series without having another thing to um you know, to answer unanswered questions, but at the same time I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. but yeah, The Apocalypse Guard. And we've got a few years before that comes out, so I'm thinking, like, I, this just caused me to think a little bit about what questions I'm okay with a book leaving unanswered um, at the end, of, like, when it finishes up its thing there. And the only one I can come that comes to mind is the, is the, what happened because of this? Well, if you've answered that through other aspects inside the, inside your own series, so now that Calamity has been whatever, what happens because he's gone? Like, that's an okay question to leave open oh, for sure, sure. the Apocalypse Guard to answer. Um, but, like, who was Calamity? What was the darkness? Yeah. What, you know, if there's some no, of those, are like, really intrinsic questions to this story. If right? there's no guaranteed future in it, in this in this case, The Reckoners was a trilogy. It was written, it was mm-hmm. sold as a trilogy. Now, if you sell it to me as a series, like, they've, like he's done with um, Stormlight Archive, where it's like, we got ten books, trust me, everything's going to be in there. Um I'd be a little more okay with saying, okay, the first three are the Reckoners section of it, and then we'll have the Apocalypse Guard is the next three. It's a full series. Then I'm okay with your questions dragging out a little bit more like that. Yeah. But in this case, I think it was here, you know, we're going to write some more because this worked out so well, and we can answer some of those questions that I didn't get the time to finish that I that were sitting there. Yeah. Uh, uh, last bullet point for me before we get to final thoughts. Did any of you guys listen to the audiobook, McLeod Andrews' yep. audiobook? Mm-hmm. You did? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, did you listen or read? I read it. Okay. Um, there was a moment at the end of Firefight, the moment at the end of Firefight, when uh, David confronts Calamity, and Calamity's trying to gift these powers to him, and the way McLeod Andrews reads it is really cool. Uh, David's laying there on his back on this like pillar of water, or whatever it was, and Calamity goes, take it, take the power, whatever, mm-hmm. but he's got this really like interesting voice. And I can only suspect that McLeod Andrews, who was narrating this book, had no idea what was coming up in the third book. He hadn't been clued in to who this character Calamity was. And so the Calamity in book two that we get just a tiny little glimpse of is totally different from the Calamity in book three. And I love the Calamity in book two. Uh, You know, I I was really looking forward to that. Thanks, McLeod Andrews, for screwing me up and making me wish for something else. You wanted a calamity that sounded more like Voldemort. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meh. Meh. <laughs> I don't. I, I think that if he, I, I'm actually would say that Cloud probably knew that he was going to be dealing with the calamity character going forward, but the issue that we face is that how do you prevent David from recognizing him as oh, Larson? Sure. Voice has to be different, has to look different because he's seen him, he, or he sees well, that there is something. something there. Yeah. You know, that's he's got to do something to prevent David from recognizing him. So I'm okay with it, By but way, it was, is very. Cool. Was anybody else picturing a red version of that blue naked guy from Watchmen? Totally. Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Was. All right. <laughs> never, never nah. saw. Now I did. You ever read or see Watchmen? <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the character. Uh, Doctor Manhattan. Doctor Manhattan. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, final thoughts. I guess uh, what it boils down to uh, is what it always boils down to. Do we recommend this book to be read? And do we think that it will be read in 50 years or 100 years? Ken, go. 
Uh, yes, I recommend it to be read. By the way, this trilogy is the only one I could get my 14-year-old to actually put paper and word in front of his face and, and okay. spend time with. So, yeah, I absolutely recommend this nice. series. Um yeah, it might show up. I don't. I don't know that it's going to have the staying power that some of his epic stuff will, but it's it's going to be good. It gets really confusing when we call other stuff his epic stuff, huh? His epic fantasy stuff will last forever. Yeah. Okay, tell me what do you think? Uh, you have to read this book if you made it this far. If you in if you read the first, yeah, two, you got to read it. Read it. Okay. Um, and I think it's worth uh, the first two thirds is worth it. Wraps up characters bring some interesting things in well that Um, brings up another question then did the last third of this book ruin the trilogy for you do you recommend the trilogy knowing what's coming at the end of this book so it did not ruin the trilogy for me okay i did not i stated i did not like the ending of it but it didn't ruin it for me it's not a bad ending but it's not the ending that you expect want or fit or, or fits the best yeah okay i think i can discard the ending and keep the rest of the series and be perfectly happy do you think this will be on anybody's shelves in 50 years? Um, no. Okay. And I think that's probably <laughs> more to do enough. with the uh, superhero genre mm, yeah, wearing that's... itself out. Okay. Jeff? Uh, I definitely recommend it. I enjoyed it. And, you know, and even though I had my issues and holdups at the ending, I still really liked it. Um, like Ryan said, it was, it was an ending that was acceptable for the series. I think if they managed to make really good movie versions yes. of... Um, the book that it might last but if they screw up the movie then I, I think people might not bother if they make another unfortunate, but... detergent series out of this <laughs> detergent yeah um, okay Ryan so, final thoughts long and short yes I recommend the series yes I recommend the book and will it be here 50 years from now it will be heavily dependent upon the success of the movie franchise okay <laughs> alright so you and Jeff are in the same place hey Brandon Sanderson if you're listening I want to see a second novella this one entitled Obliteration oh okay. I want to see I want to see an obliteration story that guy is so compelling did we that, get what happened to him uh, remember the the very very last thing that happens in the epilogue is that they have to go after obliteration because his new target is like Toronto or something like that Uh-oh. he's yeah, like right. my craziness wasn't caused by yeah calamity. I, this I, is me. I faced my I, fears I, five years ago I've been without the darkness for a long time and I'm still gonna go kill a bunch of yeah, people obliteration bigger, whole thing is I was always crazy I want more of a obliteration yeah. I, really I think do. yeah I think he's the bigger He's a bigger baddie than Calamity was. Yeah, because because mm-hmm. the stakes again, the, the stakes, stakes are higher and more immediate with him. Anyway, um, and I think my domination. My final thoughts were given pretty well at the very beginning. With me, so uh, and yet you kept talking, and yet, <laughs> and yet we kept going on. So, all right, thanks you guys uh, for coming in. Thanks Jeff for skyping again from somewhere so far away that it makes me angry to even think about. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, once again, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash the legendarium, I want to say. Uh, and then imzy.com slash legendarium. No the in that one. imzy.com slash legendarium. Uh, check us out there and support the podcast through the tipping mechanism. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for reading through the Reckoners series with us. Uh, we are very grateful to have you with us, especially those of us, uh, those of you who have joined us on WorldsWithoutEnd.com. Uh, we will see you in the comments thread there for sure. Uh, and we will see everybody in one month for Elantris. I think it's a month. I think we gave ourselves three or four weeks to read that one, so it'll be a little a little while. But that is, if it's not my favorite Brandon Sanderson book. 
it's it makes a strong case at the very least so <laughs> we'll get to that one uh once again in about a month and we'll see you all on the other side of that <laughs>